I'm Gary and this is episode 90 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at the first car to come out of the VW's ID range of electric vehicles, the ID3. And on today's episode, we also have a post-credit sequence for premium Patreon subscribers at the All Access and VIP level, where I have a little moan about something that happened when I was charging at a well-known CPO's unit in Luton recently. Our main topic of discussion today is a Volkswagen ID3. Volkswagen produced a new range of electric vehicles based on the MEB platform, which is also used in the ID4 and the upcoming Buzz model, as well as the Skoda range. Now let's start with a few stats about the vehicle itself, courtesy of the EV database. There are four different models of the ID3 and they're differentiated by battery size and motor power. The cheapest is the 45 kilowatt hour pure performance model at £28,370. Next up are the two 58 kilowatt hour models, the Pro and the Pro Performance at 29,970 and 31,290 respectively. And the top of the range is the 77 kilowatt hour Pro S model at 42,600. The real life ranges on these models are 170 miles for the 45 kilowatt hour battery, 215 miles for the 58 kilowatt hour model, and the 280 miles for the 77 kilowatt hour model. To help us today, we're joined by Rob Shaw. He's RS Thinks on YouTube, link in the show notes, and he bought an ID3 recently to replace his 40 kilowatt hour leaf. It was the launch edition one mm-hmm. as well, so it was pretty pretty well specced, which was nice. Um, I couldn't have afforded the Techno, but then again, I'd have had to wait probably three months to get the Techno, and I was kind of itching to get one there and then, so it, so it had to be that. So why did you feel the need to change? So I was looking around, probably November time last year, because the finance agreement on my leaf was going to end in the following February. So I thought, I need to look now and see what there is. Um, I was fortunate to get some test drives of some other cars. Um, I had to go in an E2008, which was which was really good. I had to go in a Polestar 2, but that was, that, was, that was never going to be on the list. But I just wanted to have a go with that one. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, lockdown happened. So I was kind of restricted with what I was able to go and have a, have a drive in. So I had to go in a Corsa E as well. Which, which was okay, but there's just not much room in the back. Anyone trying to sit behind me would have really struggled. And I'd take my friends out. We'd go out for social activities and stuff, and I, I wouldn't have been able to use the car, so that instantly took it off the list. Okay. I didn't want to get another Leaf because I'd kind of been there. I'd already done that. And also, I would have wanted to get the 62-kilowatt Leaf, but because it was still using Chadamo and there wasn't any um, update to the to the battery cooling or anything like that, I thought if I'm going to be going further afield, I'm still going to be charging at 50 kilowatts. I'm still going to be waiting. So that kind of ruled that out as well. The E2008, although it's a good car, it wasn't much of an increase in battery and it's still only charged at 50 kilowatts. So then I was looking to the ID3 and thought, yeah, that's that's going to be a good one, but would I be able to afford it? I'm not sure. The prices on the first editions were quite high, and that w- that was the only kind of yardstick that I had for the pricing, how much how much that was um, actually going to be. So I thought, yeah, that's probably going to be the one, but I need to try it. So I went to the um, EV Experience Centre in Milton Keynes, actually, and they had had one there. So I hired that for a few days. Uh, really liked it. Really got on well with it. Um, there were a few niggles with it with the software, which I'm sure we'll get onto later. Indeed. Um, but that was that was a really good car. And I thought, yeah, this this is going to be the one. But 
I need to see what like lower specs are going to come out because this one's a bit expensive and see see how it goes from that really. So Rob got the 58 kilowatt hour model. The ID3 comes in several different spec versions spread across the different battery sizes. The city, the style, the life, the business, the family, the tech, the max, and the tour. Which spec do you have, Rob? So I've got a family spec, um, which has got most of the things that I wanted. It's got the glass roof, which is really cool. Uh, my daughter was very, very impressed when I rolled up on the drive and she saw the glass roof for the first time because any friend's car she's been in with a glass roof, it's, why can't we get one? So that was that was good to appease her. Um, I couldn't get alloy wheels on it, which is a bit of an issue. Um, the specs that were around were like basically what the dealers had, so they were matching you to um, what, what they had in the stock. And I wanted one with a certain type of alloy wheel, which just wasn't available in, in the colour that I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I had to compromise and basically get 18-inch hubcaps, which just look massive on the car you're not used to seeing wheels that big anyway on a, on a car that size but to see big massive dinner plate hubcaps on there is, is a bit a bit of a strange one too um i've also got the heat pump in there mm-hmm. which which i specified as an extra from having one in the leaf um i thought in order to eke out as much range as possible from this car i should i should really get the heat pump so that that was something that wasn't uh, willing to compromise on so the let me get this right. The heat pump is an optional extra, or it's just an optional extra on the level of spec that you chose? It's Yeah, it's, it's an option on everything apart from the first edition back then. So it's a £1,250 option. I, yeah, I, I, I just thought I should, I should really get that. That does seem somewhat short-sighted. You have a relatively expensive car like that, and it ends up not having a heat pump in it. And that, of course, affects efficiency in winter, when more of the energy of the battery is going to warm the car using the resistance heater. With a 58 kilowatt hour battery like that, it's less of an issue, but still. Of course, this then moves into a completely different topic of conversation, which is well-specced electric vehicles costing a lot of money. You want to be able to reduce the price of the vehicle as much as possible, which means that you need to have a base model at a relatively low cost. You then have the options that go on top of that, and people can select which ones they want. And that's how base model internal combustion engine cars work. With a lot of electric vehicles, however, they put everything in there, which is going to make it an excellent car. But then you put the price up to a point which then starts to become a little bit eye-watering for certain people. The whole topic of EV pricing is one for another episode, perhaps. But I still think a heat pump should form part of the base model price. Maybe that's just me. The proof of any electric vehicle is what it feels like to drive. I asked Rob how many miles he'd driven. I think I'm about 1,500 now, which which is kind of surprising me, seeing as I, I think I've barely driven it. Because I'm working at home at the moment, I haven't got any commute, so that's literally just driving around, going to the shops, just random trips. I got the car in December, just uh, the week before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So to me, I've barely driven it. And what's the longest journey you've actually done in it at the moment? It was literally the drive back from the dealership. I bought the car from Loughborough. So driving from Loughborough to Welling Garden City was was the longest trip that I've done so far. I think it was about 90, 95 miles, something like that. So not a huge amount of distance driven, mainly due to lockdown. But obviously Rob has had a chance to check out what the range is. As I mentioned earlier, the range on the 58 kilowatt hour model is 215 miles real world. And that's from the EV database. The WLTP range is much higher than that, but nobody really gets the WLTP range. Has he been seeing figures like that? I think that's quite accurate. I'm getting about 3.6 miles a kilowatt when I when I have been kind of um, 
been watching it. I'm, I'm, I'm not watching it like a hawk because I'm just driving it because I'm going local and things. I, I, I don't really need to eke out the range at the moment. But I've, I've been getting about 3.6 miles a kilowatt, which is probably just over 200 miles, I think. And and, and that's not, not the height of summer. So once the weather starts picking up and temperature increases and things like I can see that going like even more definitely. You've mentioned getting about 3.6 miles per kilowatt hour. What do you think is contributing to that? One good thing with with the ID3 is it, it will actually coast quite well. So in the leaf you would lift off the accelerator and it, and it would kind of not kind of come to a stop straight away but you could see that there was some resistance there and it was trying to slow down. Mm-hmm. With with the ID3 when you lift off it will actually coast which is really good so that, so that's going to and then we get to eke out even more range on it. Well, that's interesting. Is the regen variable? So you've got the normal B mode, mm-hmm. but you've also got various driving modes as well. So you've got an eco mode, a comfort mode, a sport mode, and an individual mode where you can set up things yourself. So if you're driving in sport mode and you put it into B, then the regen is more than if you're driving in eco, which is, which is quite interesting. So, so each, each driving mode has its own level of regen. And presumably, the weather will also affect efficiency. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that the miles per kilowatt will, will drop, obviously, in the cold. Um, but nothing about kind of driving in, in the wet or anything like that. I haven't, haven't really experienced that. But then I haven't really been out much to experience that, to be honest. There are always two aspects to discuss with a battery on an electric car. One is the speed at which it empties, and that gives its range and the efficiency. And the other is the speed at which it fills, and that gives us an indication of how long you'll need to be sitting at a charger. So the specs say that it will charge 100 kilowatts, and I have had 100 kilowatts, which mm-hmm. which is good. I had to run the battery down, though. So I went up to the um, local R80 charger, which is just up, up the A1, with the purpose to try and get 100 kilowatts. So I wasn't charging the car for quite a long time, and I was kind of trying to run the battery down. I arrived there with about 12 to 15%, plugged it in, and straight away I was on 90 kilowatts, and within a couple of minutes it shot up to 100 kilowatts, which was, which was really good to experience for the first time. Being a Leaf driver, I, I think the highest I'd ever had was like 45. It maintained 100 kilowatts till about 30%-ish, and then it started ramping down. It was 80 kilowatts, about 40%, and then it, it was 50 kilowatts to about 80. So, so it was pretty good. Looking at the charge curve for the ID3 on the EV database, the figures Robbie's quoting match pretty much exactly what that says. There's a plateau of charging from almost 0% state of charge to around 30%, where you'll get 100 kilowatts. From there, it has a continual downward slope as the state of charge increases until it gets to 80%, where it hits 50 kilowatts. After that, it tails off quickly to preserve the battery state of health. If you're on a 50 kilowatt charger, it stays at 50 kilowatts for pretty much the whole charge up to 80%. So we've got a car that charges rapidly, gets good efficiency, is well-specced, apart from the heat pump, and has a range that means you won't need to charge it all that often. But we do need to talk about the elephant in the room. Software, is it? <laughs> yeah, software. The initial release of the ID3 was delayed due to software problems. There were images of hundreds of these cars sitting in lots somewhere, awaiting an update to solve these issues. When the launch models were released, there were reports of continuing glitches, some of which were pretty major, causing vehicles to stop working. Previous podcast guest Steve Forster owned an ID3 at one point and ended up sending it back because he was losing confidence in it after being carted home a number of times on the back of a low loader. So how's the software now? Yeah, so when I picked the car up, uh, the first thing I did was go into the menus and find out what the software version was. 
and it and it was the first software version with with the issues and i thought well hey ho they're probably not able to install it yet there's all these cars going out they want to get them out so mm -hmm. leave it i know i'm not going to be driving the car much because i'm working from home so once i can book it in for an update i'll do that the issues that i had weren't that bad when i've seen what other people have had i'm i'm in one of the id3 facebook groups and, and some of the issues in there were just were just horrendous people not being able to drive their cars people cars stopping mid mid journey and not being able to get back in again and just just issues like that but the main issues i had were just various warning lights coming on mm -hmm. um and also sometimes you would press a button like for the climate control and it wouldn't work or you'd get in switch it on and you'd have a black screen um Another quite amusing one was the cruise control thinking it was in kilometres an hour rather than miles an hour. <laughs> so, so you'd be on the motorway, set it at 60, for instance, um, and it would be fine for like a few hundred yards, and then it would just break very sharply, um, getting you down to 60 kilometres an hour. So that's something that I didn't use. Um, once, I'd, once I'd experienced that, I thought, I'm not going to use cruise control again. I don't really need to. An issue I had with um, an ID3 courtesy car. So, so when my car went in for the software update, I was given an ID3 courtesy car, mm -hmm. which was not on the updated version of, of the software. And I got in it one day, put my foot on the brake, switched it into drive, and nothing happened. It it just remained in park. So I had to basically get out the car, lock it again, unlock it, get back in again, and then it worked okay. So, so that was that, that was something that I didn't get in my car, but I had it in, in, um, in the courtesy car. These issues were all related to the first version of the car's software. Since then, things have been updated. Yeah, so, so there was three releases of the software. There was the version that came with the car. Um, there was a version that was put out called 2.0, which was given to people with severe issues. I, th I think you basically had, had to log it with VW, they would go to the head office people and, and then they would put that software on as, as an interim measure because your car was either dangerous or not drivable or whatever it was. Then there was the third version of software, which is called 2.1, which is what most people were given uh, that didn't get the 2.0 interim one. So now that I've got that software, everything is 100% fine with the VW software. Now, I, I say that because I use Android Auto and there are issues with Android Auto now that that's enabled. So, so when you get the first version of the software, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay isn't isn't available, isn't isn't working. That only gets enabled when you get the two point one version of the software. Mm -hmm. And now that I've got that and I'm using it, I've I've got issues with that, like things not working properly, sound cutting out, other other bits and pieces. Yeah. But but that's purely from like a Google issue. That's that's their issue to fix. There are other manufacturers having the same thing. So I've, I've looked on various forums and things and Ford are having the same issue and Mazda are having the same issue and, and, and some other manufacturers. So the VW software, 100% perfect, but the Android Auto has, has got some issues at the moment. It should also be mentioned that even though the V2.0 and V2.1 uh, releases were dealer-installed updates, as of release 2.1, software updates will come over the air like Tesla. So it looks as though software issues have been sorted or are well on their way to being fixed. Are there any other things Rob doesn't like about his ID3? Yeah, so Lane Assist. So Lane Assist is a function that will keep you in the middle of the lanes. Hmm. And I absolutely hate it. So every time I get in the car, I, I, I switch it off. Now, just to switch it off is a bit of a mission. 
because when when you go into the menu, you're you're presented with like a street scene with a VW ID three on a road. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got like a speed limit sign. You've got various other little things on there as well. In order to turn off lane assist, you have to click on the white lines in the middle of the road, and then you get a little another menu where you can knock it off. Now, perp- I, I I just hate it. I understand why they've put it on. It's it's to do with the um, Euro NCAT ratings that. If it's if it's got this on, it gets a higher rating. So I think VW get like five stars for this because they've got this function on. But I, I just absolutely hate it. I, I I just don't want to use it, and you have to switch it off every time you get in the car because it automatically puts it back on again. That's a double-edged issue. On the one hand, you have a feature which can't be turned off permanently, and on the other, you have a feature which has a poorly designed user interface to switch it off. Both of these could be solved with an update to the software, although I suspect only one of them will. Definitely, definitely. In in my other car, I've I've got a Skoda. That's got lane assist. I can turn it off and it stays off. Also, another thing is the, the windscreen wipers are set up for a left-hand drive car. So so the first sweep is the passenger side. And when when it's finished doing the sweep, the passenger side is the one that would come down last. And when it does, if there's any rain or water on the screen, it just splashes it over to the driver's side. So you need to wipe it again to get rid of the the one on the driver's side. But then the remaining sweep splashes it onto the driver's side again. So that's that's a little annoyance. I've also heard there's an issue when moving at relatively slow speed. Another thing is slow speed manoeuvring. So when I'm reversing out of my drive, there are trees either side, there's bins, whatever. Sometimes the car will just break on its own and stop because it's detected something mm-hmm. that it thinks I'm going to hit. Now, the way to get around that is to basically creep back really, really slowly, and then that doesn't engage itself. Again, this is something you can switch off in the menu. I think it's called maneuver braking, mm-hmm. but like with the lane assist, it enables itself again when you get back in the car. So that's oh. just something that's another annoyance. It's I've kind of sussed out how to get around it now, but in the beginning, every time I was reversing out the drive, it would break, and it and it breaks pretty severely. So you kind of rock back into the seat uh, because it, it thinks it's, it's trying to avoid um, a collision or something. You've got to hope that issues like that are going to be sorted out in a later release of the uh, software, aren't you? Yeah, I, I I think just making the button accessible. Rather, rather than having to go down maybe two or three levels deep in the menus to turn it off would be would be a, a start. One thing the ID range of cars have is a phone-based app. Not all EVs have an app. Some of them have apps that are active in certain countries and not others, such as my Kia Soul. And some cars have really awful apps. How does the ID3 app rate? So the app is quite basic. You can see your level of charge. You can set um, a level of charge to charge to when you plug in as well and you can set the air conditioning to start and stop. That That's pretty much all you're going to get out of it, to be honest. Mm. When you look at the um, WeConnect app for, say, like a VW Golf, you can unlock the car, you can honk the horn, you can turn the lights on. You can, you've can you got far more functionality with it. So whether that's going to come later to the ID range of cars, that, I, don't, I don't know, but I think that would be a really good thing uh, because the app is, is, is quite basic. The app is good in its connectivity. So coming from a Leaf, the app on the Leaf was atrocious at not being available, or you would set a timer and it doesn't work. You get in, into a cold car in the morning because the heating's not come on. 
I find the VW app much more reliable, to be honest. When I have set timers for charging or for turning air conditioning on or anything, they, they've always worked, which is, which is good. So summarizing that, I would say you've got an app which is reliable and works well, but is limited in functionality. Whereas with the Leaf, you had an app which has a lot more functionality, but wasn't particularly reliable and couldn't be, um, couldn't be relied on to work every time. Yeah, yeah. With, with the Leaf, you could, you could see driving data as well. So you could see your journeys that you've done. You could see how many kilowatts you'd use, how many miles of kilowatts you'd averaged. There isn't anything like that with the, with the current VW app. It, I've got to believe it can't be that difficult to have that functionality included as uh, yeah. when they, they get a new version of the software. And it, it's obviously, I mean, if they're using it on existing fossil fuel models, they've got to have the software somewhere to be able to uh, pull that information out. Rob has the pro performance spec of the ID3, which is no slouch. So that's yeah. the 7.3, 7.4 seconds to 60 and the 204 PS motor. Which is which is good. Obviously, you had a drive yourself the other day, and mm. you, you like the acceleration, the power. So it's a little bit nippy, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely, yeah, yeah, it is. You can you can surprise a lot of people off the lights, like you get a Golf GTI next to you or a Civic Type R or something, and they try to go for it, but but you can go for it, and, and you can usually get in front of them, which which is quite fun. <laughs> so I don't do it often, but it's it's just nice to know you can. As I came to the end of the discussion, I wanted to see if the car had met Rob's expectations. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So even even with the software bugs, I, I bought the car knowing that it's going to have issues, but I could overlook that because I knew that they would get sorted out. And, and I, am, I am a bit of an early adopter. I like to get things new. I like to experience things. I like to sometimes shape the way they're going to work and things. So buying it with the software issues, I that, that, that wasn't a problem for me. Um, I really love the car. The car's fantastic. It's acres of space. It's great for the family. The glass roof is great. So I've, I've nothing but good things to say about it, really. Thanks to Rob for his time and input. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with you listeners. ChargePoint operator Instavolt has teamed up with the Automobile Association, the AA, to provide customer support for its users. Pretty much all ChargePoint operators have a dedicated customer service line to call when you have an issue with a charger. We won't go into the issue of why we need a dedicated customer support line when you never seem to have one at petrol stations. That, that's another story. The majority of these customer service lines are supported by and run by the ChargePoint operators themselves. Some of them are great, others not so great. Your mileage may vary. But Instavolt have announced recently that they're handing over the customer service function to the AA in the United Kingdom. Instavolt have 600 chargers nationwide, all at popular locations with on-site amenities, including McDonald's, KFC and Starbucks. Support for issues at any of these units will be provided by the AA via a dedicated support number. The AA customer service team will be able to resolve common charging queries, direct customers to Instavolt charging stations, and help with account or payment queries. From personal experience, this will be a relatively small part of the AA telephone support function, as intervolt chargers tend to be the more reliable units on the market and rarely have issues. Although I did note that one was refusing contactless payments at one unit recently. Do we think this might be something other CPOs will follow? I'm not sure, but anything that improves the charging experience is to be welcomed. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. All access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness where I'm having a bit of a charging rant. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at the evmusings at gmail.com and I'm also musingsev on Twitter. 
If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to become an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called Two, You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines, which is quite important. If you've reached this part of the podcast and you're still listening, thank you so much. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingsEV with the words... No software issues here. Hashtag, if you know, you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's a huge fan of the old-fashioned typewriters and analogue equipment you can get. Hates modern tech. So much so that if I ever have a problem with my computer, he's always the first one on the line telling me what the issue is. Software, is it? (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye.